with you again tonight. A lovely day today. Very relaxing. It's so good to be here and to find it's very relaxing to be with you. It's really, really good. Um, um, I'd love us to stand. Can we do that and pray before we get into the, uh, the subject of tonight about the hearts? Just to be open, also for you, but also for myself, uh, just uh, realizing how much we need him, need Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And Father, we just thank you so much that you're not just taking interest in us, but you love us. And you give us everything that we need for life and godliness. And you're the only one who can help us. Lord, you have asked us, you are equipping us to guard our own hearts. But I do pray, Lord, where this has not gone right, where we haven't done it properly or seen it not work, and some of the heart is damaged. Father, what we cannot do is what you can do. You can cure hearts. You can restore and you are in the business of restoring all the time. And we ask you, Lord, will you do some of that tonight? And for some of us, much of that tonight. And we ask you that, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord. We thank you so much for the picture of the, the potter, of the clay, of, of you, not just having warm hands around us, but maybe having to hammer a few things. But, Father, not to break us, but to restore us. What a beautiful picture, Lord. Would you do some of that tonight as well? And I do pray, Lord, for myself, Lord, that as I'm teaching or sharing, it will equip us, not words of a man, not words of a human being, but words of life. Lord, I pray for that in Jesus' name, and thank you for it, Lord. Amen. 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 <clears throat> we said yesterday that um, God says to us, uh, to take full responsibility for our own hearts. The responsibility to guard our hearts is on ourselves and not for someone else to do that. Um, and yes, we have received a new heart, uh, but it needs protection and it needs us to give it protection. Our hearts are vulnerable. And, um, and because it's the wellspring of life, it's under attack and we need to be aware of that. Proverbs 27, verse 19, it says this, As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. So your heart and my heart are like a mirror to other people. Other people will know what goes on the inside by the heart that we have. And, and we talked about some uh, wonderful examples in Scripture yesterday of men and women that were doing that well. We talked about Hannah, how she, under great stress, was not, she was guarding her heart not to get in any competition with Penina. And she guarded her heart and she became a releasing heart. Her heart became a releasing heart, releasing a Samuel, releasing a next generation. And we talked about Jonathan, how he saw the hand of God on David, although he was the next of kin. And the next one to be on the throne, he saw the hand of God. He was not in competition, but he released David into his uh, purpose for, God, for God's life, uh, God's purpose for his life. Now tonight, uh, we'll go to the other hearts, and I'm still not sure how many we will do. Uh, we'll probably not do it in the way that we've done yesterday. One heart, questions, done, break up, one uh, 
heart question. So I'll probably combine a couple of hearts together and then get us into small groups of two or three. Uh, and in those groups, just share the heart or share with one another the heart that particularly spoke to you in this season in your life. Is that okay? We'll go. We'll see how we go. Okay. The second heart for tonight is to have a, a healthy heart is to have a composed heart, a connected heart, a heart that is found through satisfaction. But instead of a healthy heart in this area, through life itself, our hearts can get broken. So instead of having a connected heart that is fully satisfied, our hearts can be broken. And if someone said this, if a heart stays broken, it will affect the body. So if our heart is not healed, it will have effect even on our bodies. You can get ill if your heart is broken, if it's not restored. And the example we take from um, people that didn't do so well in this area is from the life of Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, until the birth of Isaac, that was in Genesis 21, Ishmael is called the son of Abraham. Every time you see Ishmael, it says the son of Abraham. And after, and, and after this, after that Isaac is born, he is suddenly called the son of Hagar. The son of that slave girl. So suddenly, from being the son of Abraham, he became the son of Hagar. And he became the son of that slave girl. So there was a sudden change in affection. One moment you're loved, something happens, and the attitudes of people around you change. And sometimes you're not aware of what has happened, but suddenly it has changed. You feel you haven't done anything wrong, anything different from yesterday, but suddenly people look at you in a different way. In Genesis 21, verse 10, it says, So Sarah said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman, no longer her son, but the son of this slave woman, shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. But if we remember, it was Sarah's idea to want to help God. And it was her idea, and she said, here is my maid. Just Make sure you get a son. And Sarah felt bad about this after receiving Isaac, and she persecuted Hagar, Hagar, and Ishmael. You know that's true in life? That we have the tendency to persecute other people because of our own shortcomings and failure. We talk negative about other people that is often the result of our own inferior feelings. We feel inferior, we feel insecure, but instead of saying that, we just project someone else as bad or worse. Instead of an honest reflection, we project this on other people and make them feel bad or look bad. And Abraham, with a lot of pain, sends his son away. So the father of faith became the father who is sending away. The father who was leaving him. 
In Genesis 21, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So the symptom here is this. People that can give you the feeling that it's never good enough. That you're not doing well enough. And there is a growing sense of inferiority. So that is when a heart is broken. That's when something happens on the inside and you feel there is a distance between the people that loved you once and no longer love you. Or whatever you feel when a genuine love was, it's no longer there. So there's a, a great example of a healthy heart in this area. A connected heart, a composed heart. People that are able to keep their heart together despite the circumstances of life or what other people do to them. I think a great example in the Bible is Peter. You know Peter, the disciple Peter who walked with Jesus from the beginning, you know, from the boat and the fishing, and from that time onwards, he left everything and followed Jesus. And he had promises of Jesus and of God over his life. He was a key person on the day of Pentecost, addressing the crowd of thousands of people. And then Paul turns up. He has this conversion on Damascus Road, having been called by God, and he seems to have a ministry that goes beyond the ministry of Peter. And to make matters worse, Paul is confronting Peter in the presence of other people in Galatians, it says, and he called him a hypocrite. Now this great Peter suddenly is a hypocrite. And this is the reaction of Peter. There was no defense mechanism or shaping of his own ministry. He was not arguing theological concepts. He could have easily said, I do not agree with Paul on his theology. He could have written letters to other people and written, we we would have other letters of Peter. But instead of this, he wrote in his second letter, he said this, just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you, with the wisdom that God gave him. Here's a man who had received his own identity in Jesus Christ. And then you can enjoy a full attention and love of God. And what that does, it helps you and me to not get wrongly affected or broken in heart. It will help me to keep looking at my own life and not at the life of another person. We said yesterday in 1 Corinthians 12, God gives more honor to the parts that lack honor. And what it basically is saying is that we are made to bring out the best in other people. To remain affectionate in our love and expression of grace, even if other people change their commitment towards you. Can I say that again? You remain affectionate in your love and expression of grace, even if others change in their commitment towards you. I believe that's truly grace and practice. There are a couple of questions with this. We're not going to answer them now, right now, but they're on your sheet. So read those. If this is a particular heart that you feel that has to do with your heart, whatever side of it, then talk about that together. We go to the third 
healthy heart, which is a fulfilled heart. It's a heart that is enthusiastic with the success of other people. But instead of having a healthy heart in this area, through life, your heart can be a driven heart. Your life can be a success-orientated heart, not for the success of others, but for your own success. People with that kind of heart, a driven heart, they have got a perfectionism. They have unattainable standards for themselves and for other people. This figure, Paul, in the New Testament, Paul showed some of this when John Mark didn't want to go with Paul at a certain point. In Acts 13, verse 13, it says, John Mark, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And as a result, Paul lost his trust in him and didn't want to take John Mark with him any longer. So Barnabas turned up. He said, my nephew, John Mark, we'd love to come and join you. He said, no, no, no. He left me last time. I don't want him in the team. Once he has not been committed, then next, I don't trust him anymore. So in Acts 15, it says this in verse 38. Paul thought best not to take with, uh, not to take with them one who had been withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So what it says is that Paul's standard of working with other people is very high. And there were no mistakes allowed. Even if someone has a very good reason for not joining you or not being in a meeting, what is our reaction? And if your reaction is like mine, I love people to join me every time I'm doing something. I miss them even if they're not in one of the prayer nights. And they've been in all prayer nights, but just the one. And I think, why were you not there? And we wonder why they haven't turned up. You know, there's a difference in missing people or manipulating people. Or playing the guilt trip. You should have been there. It's not snowing. It's cold, yes, but it's not snowing. You could have been here. But this driven attitude of Paul pushed John Mark out of sight. But not only that, it hurt his fellow Barnabas, who had taken him on board, Paul, but he forgot that completely. He was so focused on getting it right, he lost part of his team because of this. So the symptom here is this. Those that seem to concentrate more on the mistakes and achievements. So they are very much on either side. They give you the feeling that it's never quite good enough. And then there's the healthy side of it. The example of a fulfilled heart. An enthusiastic heart. A content heart. And that's Barnabas. A man who gave Paul time to change. He trusted him. And his loyalty and his faithfulness was genuine. And Barnabas made a choice for John Mark. And the beauty of that is this, that he chose for a man because he saw something in him, not for his ministry. If Barnabas had chosen for his ministry, he would have left John Mark out of the equation. Because 
being connected to Paul would take you further. But he rather said, I stick with John Mark. He had nothing to offer this John Mark, not much. But he stuck with him out of loyalty and faithfulness. He wasn't a driven man. He wasn't after his own success or ministry. He wanted the ministry and success of this young man because he believed in him. So what Barnabas had done for Paul, he also did for this young nephew. There was no difference in the heart of Barnabas. He treated everyone the same. And what he did, he pushed him gently into his ministry. He said, you, I believe in you, go. But then true fulfillment came to Paul's life later on in life. It says in Philippians 4, verse 11, so his heart changed. I have learned to be content in every situation. He knew that finding fulfillment was not in achievements, but being fully satisfied in God himself. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, it was not I, but the grace of God within me. He recognized it had nothing to do with him doing his best, but allowing God's grace in his life and work through his life. So there are a couple of questions with this heart. And uh, you can read upon those. And then we'll go to the fourth heart. And that heart is a grace-filled heart. God wants our hearts to be healthy. And a healthy heart is a heart that is filled with the grace of God, experiencing the grace of God and living it. Not just believing in the grace, but experiencing God's grace. There's a big difference. I found people that really believe in grace can be very legalistic. They can. They don't live out grace. God wants our hearts to live out grace. So instead of having a healthy heart in this area, our hearts might turn and change and become wounded hearts. And I was reading on the life of a couple of people in the Old Testament uh, that were children of David. Um, one of them is uh, his daughter, Tamar, and the other one is his son, Amnon. And Amnon abused Tamar. And she was abused by someone very close to her. Her own brother raped her, it says in 2 Samuel 13. And then after raping her, his passionate love changed in hatred. And what happens with another brother of him, Absalom, he heard about it, he then went over and killed Amnon. <coughs> and because of that, he has to flee from his home, and David hadn't seen him for three years. He's away from his parents. So if we describe the symptom, it says in 2 Samuel 13, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornamented robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. 
And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. If those that are very close to us wound us and confuse us, there, are, there can be two ways about us, two results. <coughs> One is Absalom. The result in his heart was bitterness and hatred. And in Tamar's heart was a deep sorrow which turned on on the inside and she became a lonely person. It says that her, from her she became a lonely person. What a lonely heart does, it can hardly share any experience of what has happened to someone, to that person. Sometimes it's not able to forgive anymore. And I find this also in life. A person who has been abused in whatever way might find it difficult to come to terms with God's care and God's love. You can tell them God loves you and God cares, but it's for them very difficult to take that aboard. And why? Because their question is this, where were you, God, when this happened to me? When we feel we should have been shielded, and protected, but no one did. That's where our hearts get wounded. And I found also that in the Bible there are beautiful examples of people that could have been very wounded and their hearts could have been destroyed, but they kept their eyes on God himself and God asked God to help them in that process. And one of them is Joseph. You know the Joseph who's being kicked and humiliated, hated, by his brothers and sold by his brothers. He didn't complain about all that has been done to him. Joseph didn't turn in on himself. He had no spirit of self-pity. He didn't use his energy to fight back to his brothers. You know some people, when they've been accused or they feel wounded, all what they do and all what's left of them to do is they complain all the time. They keep complaining about other people, keep looking at other people, and it's taking all the energy out of their lives. But Joseph's testimony is this one. In Genesis 39, it says, God was with Joseph, and Joseph was successful. God was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And what Joseph kept doing is was kept looking to God what God wanted him to do. And he opened his heart, and then he opened the palace, and then he opened the heart to his brothers, and he blessed them. So Joseph had not become bitter, he had not become wounded, but he saw his lives in the hands of a sovereign God, and it kept his heart motivated the right way. And in Genesis 45, he says, it was not you selling me, but God sending me. What a difference. If he had kept looking at his brothers, that's all that was left of his life. But he kept looking at the sovereign Lord and he knew everything is God's hands. He is sending me. It's having the faith and the confidence that your life is in God's hands whatever the circumstances. 
you're never in the hands of man. If you are a Christian, you're always in the hands of God. People might think they owe you, but they don't. God owes you. He's the potter. He might hammer a few things, but not to break you, but to get you better. He is always in restoring. It's not your circumstances that determine your life, but God who is in total control. So believing in the sovereignty of God is the ultimate healing of a wounded heart. So we look at some questions there on Tama's life and how we can generally receive hope when life seems to be unfair at times. We can talk about that later. So I'll do the last half for this session and then we'll go into small groups. The last half of this session is this. It's the, f- the fifth healthy heart. It's a satisfied, content heart. It's a heart that is at peace and at deep rest. And you might think, well, we just had that one on a fulfilled heart. <laughs> a fulfilled heart enjoys the success of other people around us. A content heart is enjoying a deep inner peace because we know we are called by God. That's a different fulfillment. So you're not fulfilled by what other people do. You are fulfilled because of God showing you that you've got a purpose in life and you're called by him. But if you don't feel that, you don't see that, and you don't receive that, your heart can become a heart filled with ambition and striving. A couple of those characters are in the New Testament, John and James, Mark 10. And they were the product of their own upbringing. They had a a very ambitious mother. And the mother said, let them sit on the throne. Forget the other disciples and other people, just my son's Lord. Let them reign and rule. They'll do a good job. And so... And they, uh, James and John, said, yeah, yeah, we could do it. And um, so it's what drives the heart, that heart drives, is driven by achievement. Being the best, doing the best. And many times it's because of other people, it might be parents, who with all the costs they have, want their children to achieve what they themselves never have been achieving. They try to fulfill their own dreams through the lives of their children. And the symptom that those people face is this. People have the tendency to perform for other people. Either for their parents, to just make sure that the parents are proud of them. And I found this, that's not when they're just young. You can be 60 or 70 and still live of the dreams of your parents rather than of what God has seen. Because you all the time think, I just want them to be proud of me. And you're never really yourself. What happens with other people, if you have got a driven heart or a striving heart, an ambitious heart, other people around you get very irritated with you, get upset with you. You just be with people who are just so striving to do it right, and I know people, they strive to do it right. And you know, just relax, man. Just enjoy life. But they want to do everything right. 
that the same happens what happened here in Matthew 20. It says that when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And then it says Jesus called them together. And Jesus was teaching into this kind of heart. And in doing so, he was helping the, the brothers and the rest to see that there is an other way and a better way. So what ambitious people do is they are more aware of their goals and how to achieve the goals than of the people they work with to achieve the goals. And for those kind of people, to work in a team might, be prove, might prove to be very hard. So for those kind of people who are striving, achievement is more important than relationship. And that kind of person has to be careful that not everything is happening through him or to her. You know, yes, I believe in a revival, but it has to come in my church. Or thinking, I am indispensable. God, you can do without everyone, but you can't do without me. <laughs> There's a very healthy and godly example of a satisfied heart, a heart that's at peace. I think Abraham was a man who could let go of everything. Not only did he leave his own country, but he didn't have to hold it together even before his nephew Lot. You remember when there was not enough room and not enough space. Then Abraham who was called and it was Lot who joined him. So Lot should have been the one that said, there's not enough room, I'll find some other place. He joined Abraham in his calling, but then at the moment they had to decide. Lot was quiet, didn't say anything. Just wondered what Abraham would do. Abraham said, here's the land, you choose. So Lot looked at the land, thought, that's the best part, I'll take the best part. You shouldn't do that. But he did. You know, if you, if you have a big pizza and there's a small slice and a big slice, and say, what do you want? You don't take the big pill one. You take the small one, don't you? <laughs> but Lot said, give me the big piece, I'll take the big one. And Abraham said, you have the big one. He was not going after that because he believed that God would provide. So his confidence was in his calling and what God asked him to do. So whatever someone else would choose, he would still turn out having the best part. I think what happened when he earlier in his life had to come to a place where he surrendered his son Isaac on the altar. It was there when God said, what is more important to you, your son or me? And he chose God. From then onwards, God first, all the rest second. You know, if you've got an ambition, ambitious heart, this might be a good help for you. If it's ambitious, you can stop ambition, but you can never stop the calling. Did you know that? If it's ambition, if it's something that's been driven by yourself or you're striving for something, you can stop that. If it's the calling of God, you can never stop it because God will keep on calling you. He'll never stop. There are some questions on that one and we finish with this. So you've got plenty of hearts to think about. So I'd love you to go in small groups of two, maximum three, 
people that probably, uh, well, whatever, you feel free to talk with and share. Maybe one, maybe two, but just on the heart that really spoke to you. Maybe it's in a season in your life you think, in this season, this heart is really what I want to see God uh, do something. Maybe answer the questions that are related to it, whatever, but feel free. And let's talk about it a little bit, and then we'll hope to address the last couple of hearts in this next bit. Yeah? Clear? Happy? Okay.